What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is a very special episode of Movie Schmovie. And when I say very special, uh, I mean extremely stressful. Uh, carries a lot of anxiety amongst uh, the three of us, the co-hosts of this show. This show, episode 402 of this show. Um, my name is Steve. I'm here uh, as one of the co-hosts. As always, I'm joined by Ron and John. And uh, yeah, we always talk about this show. We always I feel like we put it off as long as possible uh, to try to see as many things as we can see, right. um, because it's a lot of work picking a top ten list. And I think we kind of we kind of make sure that we do ours last so that we kind of close the year out because everybody waits to hear the sh- the movie top ten, right? Um, you know, and we kind of come in a couple weeks before the Oscars. It's really fair. To, little... It's really fair to say that all the other top ten lists are are fodder for our list. You know? Agreed. Agreed. They kind of jump the gun a little bit, mm-hmm. and yeah. some some say, and we kind of sit back and wait, and we wait for our moment. And you know, for twenty twenty three, this is that moment. Episode four hundred two. Yeah. Top ten films of twenty twenty three. So, uh, h- how are you guys feeling about your list? Before we get into the how we're going to do them and kind of get into them, like. What's the what's the vibe right now? What are you what are you guys feeling? I don't feel good at all. I don't <laughs> I don't think I've ever cut this many movies. I, this is it's crazy. Like I was thinking, yeah, out loud. I was like talking. I was like, this wasn't twenty twenty three wasn't that good of a year for movies for me. Then I look at my list and I'm like, oh right. no, this is this might be a little more important of a year than I than I thought. Right. And my experiences from place to place were like very unique. And mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of helped too. Like, I, this is the first year that I'm getting out more into the theater, you know, as a. Right. I mean, just full disclosure, immunocompromised, you know, but scared to go out. And I still mask and stuff when I'm in theaters. Yes. But sir. this is the first time that I've been going to the theater more frequently. Mm-hmm. I, not John level, because John is aspirational level. I do <laughs> love how much John goes to the movies. And I think 2024, I'm going to go a lot more. He's he's kind of convinced me through his <laughs> experiences. But well, yeah, you can th- pick you can pick your odd timed screening of a movie to to be there with a small you, crowd. You, but you some movies me. you you do wish you were with a crowd as well. Yes. So it's a it's a toss up for sure. For sure. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, this one was hard. I, I feel like I feel like it's the kind of thing where I, I I always have so much anxiety about missing things, and like there's definitely movies, <clears throat> you know, that based on the time they come out in the year, um, where I just haven't been able to get to a theater to see them, or you know, I've I've really just preferred to watch them at home in some cases. I, I don't even really the variables are kind of inconsistent, but I feel like there's always like two or three that I go into this conversation like, man, I can't believe I did not see. Mm. A, B, and C. Yeah. And there's still those titles for this year. But as I sat back and today, like kind of going, like I maintain a list throughout the year on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. like just so I, I'm not sh- surprised by the task at hand when we get into this conversation. But, um, you know, like kind of sort of what you were getting at, Ron, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, I think I have a pretty good idea of what is in that 10 to 20 range. Yeah. And, you know, as I started going through the list and kind of tweaking it a little bit, I was like, well, you know, there there were a lot of movies that I, I almost like completely lost association that it came out in 2023. Like, I feel like it felt like a long year. I saw like over 130 movies in 2023 mm-hmm. like that I tracked on Letterboxd, which was great. Like definitely up from years, you know, the one, two, you know, 2001 and uh, 20, I'm sorry, 2021 and 22, like 
I was just around 100, 110. So like it was cool to see more and kind of like what you were saying. I haven't been to the theater as much as I'd like to be the theater, but um, there were some titles where I made sure I went and saw it on the big screen, you know, with a crowd if that, if possible. And honestly, like all of the movies for the most part in my top 10 or actually at least seven or eight of them, there's a factor of like the experience and seeing it in the theater with a crowd um, yeah. or, or, or the type of presentation that I was afforded by, by having that experience. And I'm not saying that completely affects the quality of the movie, but there's no denying that like it, it affects the impact I had while seeing that film. Mm. So that was the kind of like little takeaway I had looking at my list. I was like, wow, like seven, eight, nine of these movies in my top 10 are movies that I absolutely saw in the theater. And like, I can remember the experience entirely. And some of them that are in the 10 to 20, 10 to 30 on my list, you know, they were movies that I loved that were at home that, that they kind of fell into that thing where like, wow, that, that did come out this year or, you know, 2023. How did I forget that? Oh, it's probably because I just, was relaxing at home one night and watched it by myself and loved it. And then kind of put it in the list and not forgot about it, but it just didn't have the same, you know, the same impact that some of these other movies did. And uh, I don't know that that was kind of the thing I recognized in looking at my list um, that, you know, that theatrical element uh, definitely a fan of it still. And uh, you know, I'm glad I sought some of these movies out in theaters because there's no doubt that that's probably, um, you know, affected in some way the presence where they are on my list. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was a good year. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I guess I would echo similar thoughts to what, what you both said. I think for me, I'm looking at my top, I have a top 25 in front of me. And it's really only the, the bottom five of that that's like not movies that could have been in my top 10. Yeah. Or my top totally. five. I'm, totally. I'm like my 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 sixteen through twenty could be in my top ten. My eleven through fifteen could be in my top ten. Yeah. My top ten is therefore based on two things. One is sort of the if I look back on this year, what movies do I think would help me remember this year, and the right. way I felt this year, and then uh, as a kind of side topic to that the sort of idea of if not the theatrical experience or the specific viewing experience the sort of personal connection like what movies are my are are, are the ones that fit in my not just the time capsule of the year but my my personal uh attachment to the movies you know it's like so that means it allows a couple of sentimental favorites to creep in there but also i think um what i would say is that because of what i just said that my top 20 any one of those could be in my top five um this was a pretty good year for movies for me. And I feel like we, maybe we say that almost every year, but I almost think that it's important to make a point of that. Because I, f- I hear people say all the time, they don't make good movies any anymore, or it hasn't right, been a right, good right. year since whatever year. And I find that almost every year, I find that not to be true. There were only a couple of years there that I don't even think we did a best of the year list. Right, that right. Um, There weren't that many movies coming out that felt like <clears throat> movie movies. And maybe that's a little bias against streaming. But it is true that um, you know there's a good mix for me of theatrical experience and just personal experience um in my top 10 but i I, yeah yeah, it made it nerve-wracking ronald like you said the fact that so many good movies are outside of my list um also makes it i mean it's you know if if listeners are new to the show they don't know that this is something we've done every single time is really bite our nails and like stress about it and we'll text like in the week or so beforehand because we do push it back in in the hopes that we can we can see all these movies so if anybody wants us to do this earlier um i urge (laughs) you uh you know help us get access so that we can see the movies earlier but we usually have to wait to see them 
uh, with all the regular schmoes on the street, you know? Yeah. We don't have special access. Um, so yeah, it's mid-February and we're still saying like, oh, I forgot to see this. I forgot to see that. I think we, we do this every time, but is there a movie you guys, would you want to just say up top, like <clears throat> a movie you didn't see that, that you don't know if it would be on your list or not, but you were surprised you didn't get to see it this year or that, you know, a movie you think you would have made time for, but you didn't? Um, I mean, the ones that I kind of kept trying to get back to watching, a couple of them just became available in the last like week or two, and I just couldn't get around because I was on vacation. But like, um, I uh, what was it? Like Past Lives, Zone of Interest, Anatomy of a Fall, the uh, what's the uh, the Emma Stone one? That's Four Things. I've been watching that too. Yeah, yeah. Like those are the ones that I kept like circling around that I feel like are you know they're all in the awards conversation as well. You know, in a few weeks, we'll have uh, the Academy Awards. So, I, I mean, between now and then, hopefully I see them. And if they have an impact on my list, you know, it, it, so be it. But, yeah, those were the ones that kind of, like, kept p- coming up on a list where I was like, God, I got to watch that. And I just, you know, I just couldn't make it happen. Some of them just aren't even available or I don't, I can't access yeah. easily. But, um, yeah, I, I, for me, it was like those four or five that kind of kept giving me stress. <laughs> to, like... Well, for me, Past Lives, uh, The Boy and the Heron, and... um. Uh, May, December are three movies that I would have thought I would have seen that I didn't manage to see. What about you, Ronald? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that you, that you you know, wish you'd, you'd seen before you made your list? Uh, for sure, Pat, uh, Four Things. Um, Anatomy of a Fall. Those are the two. All right. I could not see those. Right. In the last voyage of the Demeter, I, I, for some reason, I kept trying to see that, and I keep hearing that it's pretty solid. And for some Me too. Reason I just... I haven't been able to see it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that it's a top 10 conversation film, but I, I had a lot of fun with that one. I, I okay. did see that one in theaters. That was that was, that was a fun watch. You never know when that B-movie fair, yeah. though, is going to hit you in such a pleasure center spot that it does end up on your top 10, you know? Um, yeah. So... Well, uh, so let's talk about how we're doing this. We, uh, we did it this way last time. Um, what we do is we kind of rattle off our... our uh, 10 through 6, and then we will go round robin for our 5 through 1. And then the way we do it, when we break that down to the 5 through 1, we spend a little more time talking about them. And um, if you name one at, say, your position 5, Ronald, but I have it at position 3, we wait until I get around. So if you say my number five is blah, blah, blah. I might say, eh, well, I'll hold off on that. And then we'll talk about it when whoever has it at the highest position comes up with it. It just means we don't end up doing multiple segments on the same movie, and it creates a little fun suspense, because sometimes you know something's coming, but you don't know where it's going to be. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> so that'll also make this episode not a two-and-a-half-hour episode or whatever <laughs> it was turning into for a while there. Yeah. yeah that, would be, that would be wonderful. Yes. If we can keep this lean. <laughs> I think you can. Keep it, keep, it, keep it lean, just like, uh, you know, we, we always aim to. Uh, and I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, are we going to do, like, the, the inverse scoring, too? Like 10 to 1, where it'd be like, you know, basically, um, yeah, so like when we go from 10 to 6, we're going to kind of just list them off each of us, and then 5 to 1, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more like John just described. But like, I kind of I kind of always like to give the, the scores so that we can kind of say uh, a schmovie, like top 5 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So like, like, if, like, basically meaning if somebody says a film is, you know, a number 10 film, like it'll get a point, one point. And, you know, it would go inverse down to the number one film, which would have 10 points for each mention. So if we all had the same number one film, it would have 30 points. It'd be the obvious winner for the number one film on our list. And then we kind of 
we can kind of keep a running score as we get to the end of the podcast and just kind of uh i'll i'll I'll, I'll, uh you know just check with you guys but we can kind of maybe just announce that at the end of the show so do we roll for initiative i mean who's the dungeon master of this uh of this mathematical uh i I can i can take care of that okay okay. i'll take the math yeah (laughs) all right cool tracked last time I like scribbling out math as we talked last <laughs> like, year. Like, what you write down is math, and then you underline <laughs> math. And I just hold it in front of the camera. Yeah, you can right. only get the list if you watch the YouTube portion. I just have it up on the screen. And occasionally you tap the word math that you've written down with your pen. <laughs> um, yeah, and that sounds fun, man. Let's, let's go for it. Ronald, you want to start? You want to go from your Fucking 10 to 6? asshole. Okay, hey, all I, right. I'm, 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 I'm trying to... Get you, uh, let's just roll it, man. Okay, like, okay, all right. I think your list is going to be awesome. All yeah. right, thank you. Uh, 10 through 6, 10, Spider-Verse, 9, Rustin, 8, When Evil Lurks, 7, They Clone Tyrone, 6, The Holdovers. Ah. Uh. All right. Well, I will go next. Um, Ten, Bo is Afraid, written and directed by Ari Aster. Um, Nine, (laughs) sentimental favorite, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, directed by James Mangold. Uh, At number eight, Zone of Interest, written and directed by Jonathan Glazer. At number seven, When Evil Lurks, written and directed by Damien Rugna. Rugna? Runya. Uh, And at number six, Rye Lane, directed by Rain Ann Miller. I like it, like it, like it. Just taking some mathematical steps here. All right, guys. So my 10 to 6, um, I've got number 10, Blackberry. Mm. I've got number 9, John Wick 4. I've got number 8, uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, what What is the official title on this? I know they changed it for the theatrical, just Dead Reckoning now. There's no yeah. part one right. on, the, uh, on the home video release. Um. I've got number, what is that, 10, 9, 8, 7 is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And number 6 is Talk to Me. Awesome. Can I so, be honest? Yeah. I did not think that yours would be so action-packed. Yeah. That surprised <clears throat> the fuck out of me, man. You, I, you, love, you talk, I love action, you, man. You got, you got me. I, I was not expecting that. Okay. Uh, a couple things I love. One thing is I love that I think the only repeated movie is When Evil Lurks. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of cool. I was um, so close and, to and also, talk to me. What, what a different, we all had such different uh, uh, six through tens. That's, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. This is the best. This is, yeah. the, this is what works. <clears throat> so now we have to each track as the, uh, as, as we go five to one, like if right. someone says it, we got to know. Okay. Hold up. Wait a second. I got this okay. lower or higher rather. You're good. Go ahead, Ronald. Okay. My number five, American Fiction. Cool. I think you're in the clear. Okay. Um, American Fiction is one of those movies, uh, Bamboozled is another one that hits me, that mirrors my experience in the creative world so much that it's frightening. Um, when you get into these spaces, when you're creating things as a black man, uh, there, there are certain expectations they have, especially, you know, I'm, I'm as a, I'm a first time filmmaker submitting my thing 
to my film to festivals and all they want is trauma all they're accepting is like trauma-based things so seeing this experience on screen mirror my life and what people expect of me in 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 media is a really cool thing um it gets a little crazy toward the end but the acting is uh, you know jeffrey wright's a total force erica alexander um Sterling K. Brown. I mean, he's the hero of the movie for he's me. The hero I was say, we, we mentioned <clears throat> him on the last podcast. Like, he's yeah. just, uh, he definitely, you, you, you see the standout. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is great in it as well, but Sterling K. is just like, wow. yeah. Tracy Ellis Ross, it, it's just like, you know, I got a, I got a, you know, I got a little sister and that dynamic that they have before everything goes down. Don't want to give anything away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just the way that my 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 daughter, my sister and I talked to each other. It just felt so real. Um, right. Yeah, it was just really cool. And seeing a family dynamic the way that it is and creating new families. Um, it's right. just kind of a, a theme that I always like. I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, that movie just for since I said I had such a solid top twenty-five, that was my number seventeen in my top uh, twenty. So it, you know, it, at, at one moment it was it was in my top ten. Uh, I think it's what held me back was just a little bit. I think I expected it to go a little further with the sort of satirical mm. tone, but I did really appreciate how much it was just a good family drama. Like you said, that ultimately it was more of a family drama than a than like a searing satire but i did like the level of satire that it had and i thought maybe my favorite scene was the scene that gave in the most to the kind of meta conceit where he's writing and keith david has this amazing extended cameo yeah. um uh, i just thought that scene was brilliant like that was sort of the showpiece of the movie for me but um you know as much as i thought i think sterling k brown kind of walked away with the movie i do think the fun of watching Je- jeffrey wright in this movie was just it's fun to watch him carry a movie he's such a good actor he hasn't had a chance to carry like I mean, for one thing, you don't see a lot of these kind of, uh, you know, mid-budget dramas made at this level that much anymore. But, it, you, you know, he sh- he has every right to carry a movie like that. Uh, and so it was cool. He has every that. Jeffrey right to do it. <laughs> That's right. He's got Boom. every right and he's got every Jeffrey. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I guess that means I'm next. And the, I know that this movie is not going to be higher on anybody's list because you both said you did not see Anatomy of a Fall. Uh I thought this movie was, you know, it's one of many movies that were were highly ranked by me this year. Uh, Pundits are saying this anyway, uh, that uh, that sort of on paper seem dry or something or like you you look at the runtime and you hear the subject matter and you go, okay, what kind of mood am I in to sit down and watch? Like how much attention span do I need? But it's like reading a classic book and instantly realizing why people love it and have loved it for centuries. It's not because people are idiots, you know? Um, Right. And you see one of these dramas, and I guess for me, because I do love popcorn fare and B movies and horror movies and and you know I'm, I'm I don't I love all the disreputable genres so much that sometimes when a movie seems like a mature drama, I'm like, oh, how interested am I in this? Oh wait, a, a guy dies in it. Oh maybe I'll maybe I'll find it interesting. Um, but no, it's um it kind of combines the the idea of like a courtroom thriller. Um, it's not like a murder mystery so much as like a death mystery because you have a real question yeah. about what really happened with the person. Uh, and, and really this is the first movie I've ever seen that plays with language the way this movie does. It's, it's set in France. 
and it's a French man and a German woman in a relationship, and they've decided the way to be neutral is to speak English. And so mm. there's English dialogue in the movie, but right. then there's times where she speaks German, and then there's oh, times where uh-huh. the court requires her to speak French. So it's like it makes a point of it. And there were actually times in the film where um, the actress, who is having a big year, um, uh, what's her name? Sandra Hewler. Sandra Hüller. Um, yeah, she's, she said she could, she wanted to speak French for the movie. And the director was like, no, 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 I want you to speak German and English, you know, or I want you to speak English in this part of the movie because of a thing with your French husband. Right. Anyway, there's just an interesting thing that it made you think about that, that you don't normally think about when you're watching these movies, or at least normally in movies, if everybody's in France, they speak English with a French accent or, or, or they all sound British or something. You know what I mean? Like there's not yeah. usually a good rule for why people use whatever language they do in a movie. And I felt like that was an interesting, almost meta thing that crept into the movie. Um, but it's just an intensely well acted movie. And it's one of those films too, where you get to a moment, there's a scene in it that is just an acting tour de force that just cuts you to the bone. And it's one of those times where you just go, oh yeah, this is why people are talking about this movie. This is why people are talking about this performance. Um, it really it really kind of leaves a mark in the sense of a picture of a, like domestic turmoil, an, an almost relatable picture of just when things can go south between people that are both thinking they're doing right by the other one. Um, and just the kind of, it's just, there's an argument that you hear that's just... And the way it's woven into the movie and the way the movie plays with time and, and whose perception you're in and stuff. And it's just, it's one of those kind of masterfully made uh, movies that really left you, I don't know, I'm sure we all have had those movies that just ring you out by the time you get yeah. to the end. It's not even as much about the plot as it is about just the their ability to, to put you in those emotional spaces that are somewhat uncomfortable. And sometimes those movies are slow burns and you do have to dig in and give them time. But when they get the hooks into them, into you, uh, yeah, it 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 can be as exhilarating as any kind of super elaborate cinematic experience that you can take in. So, Anatomy cool. of a Fall. Cool. Very good. Um, my number five. I think we might wait to talk about. I don't know. Um, but my number five is Rye Lane. Wait. I thought so. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So, it's Ronald, tell me your number four. You know, math is math. And in, in London, they I'm call actually it, doing math right now. I know. Okay. They actually call it maths, plural, yes. in London. They're so weird. Now, if you take one away from that, from one, you got zero. Now, if you take right. one more one away from it, you got a minus one. I want to talk to you guys about Godzilla minus one minus color. <laughs> oh, so you're going even further. I'm going even further. So how does that? Goal. So how do we call that then? If we have it higher than than four, <clears throat> you have a high. Oh, just it, no. It's we go around then. It's okay. well, well, yeah. Let's just yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll you're, call it the oh, same I, movie. I, I get the distinction you're making, Steve. But no, no, but, no, no. That's <laughs> the same movie. Okay, John, it's your turn then. We won't have we won't have to wait long. But go ahead, John. Okay. Right. Well, this is cool. Um, well, this is good because this is another one I know that I'm going to be the only one talking about. Because you both said you haven't Perfect. seen Poor Things. Very good. Um, which is another acting tour de force for an actress who we know is good. Um, <clears throat> and for an actor who we know is is good. 
uh, and you don't know if I'm talking about Mark Ruffalo or Willem Dafoe, because guess what? They're both really good. Um, <laughs> no, it's just an interesting, weird, specific movie. And it really, uh, uh, you know, it's another one. I'm, I saw this one on the big screen. And so I'm glad I did. And um, if you like Yorgos Lanthimos's movies, um, you know that he, he, like he's, he's willing to be unsettling, but he's not always just unpleasant. And so you never know what's going to happen in one of his movies. But he can go right. to like a really grim and gross and visceral place that leaves you feeling funny and then have something absurdly comic happen at the same time. <clears throat> and, uh, and this movie is just like that. And it almost reminds me of like Terry Gilliam or something or any one of those directors who tries to put you in a different world or tries to give the world a different kind of feel. Mm. It's not Oz. It's not Wonderland. But it does that thing that... You know, almost like that a Wes Anderson movie does of like putting you in a very engineered, almost like toy toy box right. world. But I would say with such an agenda, if you want to call it that, with a point of view and a story that it's trying to tell and a real reason why that, that visual style works with the, the story that it doesn't feel twee or unreal. And I, I love Wes Anderson stuff. I'm just saying I know the criticisms that get lobbed at him. And really any director that does that thing of kind of creating their own universe, people generally question like why are you doing that? You know, but it's not an inability to depict the real world. This movie has a real point to it. And I've heard the book it's based on is great. And I could believe it because it's such an unusual combination of elements that you could believe that it could only come from like a nicely layered book. So I'm probably going to read the the novel just because <clears throat> it's that interesting. But yeah, Emma Stone is the real, is the real showstopper here. And then, you know, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe are both doing just amazing stuff um, within the confines of, you know, if you have it as it's the sort of it's a really strange way of getting at a story of someone's like maturity in the world. And we see Emma Stone go from sort of an immature sort of girlish figure to a, you know, more worldly woman, more kind of empowered woman. And so the, the men around her are these different sort of archetypes that the movie just twists. And so like Mark Ruffalo is the sort of takes the sort of romantic cad character and just totally puts him through the ringer. And so by the end, you're like, what a pathetic piece of shit but he's so funny and he relishes it so much and then Willem Dafoe is kind of like the father figure who has his own kind of dark secrets but there there's forgiveness and love on top of all the weirdness in this movie so I don't know I just think it's uh one of those weird unusual specific films that that you know uh if you like it it's it's all right it's already right up your alley because it's it's not maybe not for everybody but I've been impressed to see the the amount of people who have responded really well to it so maybe maybe dark fantasy or whatever you want to call this is kind of a an easy genre for people to grasp these days I don't know yeah I, I gotta see it so uh I mean it's got like 11 nominate 11 nominations at the Oscars which is really impressive um but uh yeah it's on the list uh, so, so it, I told you not long, Ronald, but we can talk about Godzilla now because it's my number. It's not my number four. Also, I didn't have the minus color option, but uh, why don't you talk specifically? You can go ahead right into your piece for that and we can kind of tag team this one. Oh, sure, man. Uh, just I, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, Asian cinema is becoming more of a mainstay in American culture. It, it's always bothered me that right. people talk about it like it's a far like far like foreign films are like a different type of movie like they they aren't human stories with humans from just another part of the world you know it's just that's always it's never sat well with me um and with 
you know, I'm bringing it up, Netflix, and sort of unifying people on, on when it comes to these stories. I think that Godzilla was an easier thing to digest for a lot of people. They'd seen a ton of things with, you know, <clears throat> slices of Japanese life, but I had never seen anything. You know, I'd seen the old Godzilla back in the day, but right. seeing this perspective, which again, really, again, not to not to harp on this, has been done quite a bit in in Asian culture. These these stories that take something like a Godzilla figure, and really, which is a metaphor for war and nuclear war, and might be a metaphor for one of the movies on one of our lists in the top five. Uh, but um, these these things, you know, you travel the world a little bit, you, you see how these things have affected uh, this culture. And to see kind of the root of it in this in this film and the family dynamics and, yeah, again, the, the this theme that I love, new families you make out of these situations. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful movie from top to bottom. Well acted. The um, I just found out about the science of Godzilla's how he's able to walk on his. It's kind of impossible for him to walk on the surface of the water like he does. He would have to be way taller. But still, beautiful, beautiful movie with great special effects. And watching it in black and white really felt like I was like, I was in a theater in the forties. Like it felt like I was like sitting down watching something and and, and experiencing yeah. it in this like real visceral way, which I'm, I'm pretty sure you did in color too, but right. it's it's well-paced. How long was this movie? I, I was trying to figure out how long Godzilla Minus One was. It's like probably two, yeah. it felt like two hours, two hours, 10 I minutes. Think, I think if any, yeah, maybe just over two. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's pretty lean. Tight film, well-acted, just, I I really like every character. And in fact, I love the scientists that kind of try to figure, it's, it's like when you think, when you think you're done with a group of characters, a new character yeah. comes along and then you see them interact with a, a character that you've seen in the, in the, in the past and it just kind of works. And, and some of the reveals toward the end, man, if you don't have a, if you don't have a heart in your chest, man, I was very emotional toward the yeah. end. Like I, it's just this, I never would have thought, I mean, people say this for, for real. I never would have thought that a monster movie would affect me this way. I never would have thought that something on this scale would affect me, but it did, man. I'm, I'm, I'm like so convinced of my need to reach out to, to more Asian cinema at this point. Cause I have anyway, but this is, this is, this is, if this isn't an entry point for anybody, I don't know what is. I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember like I saying when I thought, first saw it because I was able to see it in IMAX, and I was like, "You need to see this on the screen, like just for the mm -hmm. experience." So it's awesome that you got to see it in black and white. Because I, I mean, the fact that it even got to a point where it could have that kind of specialized release, Hell you know, yeah. was a huge achievement. Like this is this is a movie that was supposed to be in theaters for fourteen days and like ended up playing for like two months or something. Wow! You know, it, it, it overperformed, outperformed. It's like the highest grossing Japanese live action film in North America. It's Toho's largest, gross, highest grossing Godzilla film. Like it's just a huge success, and it's yeah. and it's a, and and I mean, I think it even got a special effects a nomination for the Academy Awards, which is amazing. And I think it's just uh, it's a special movie. You know, I feel like I. I'm not a massive Godzilla fan. I do like the movies, you know, mm -hmm. I, whether it's 
you know, Universal's new thing they have going on, mm. or no, Warner Brothers. Who is, who does those? I guess it's Warner Brothers. Yeah, because it came on Max during the pandemic. But like you know, those I'm I'm in on all these things. Like the yeah. Apple TV series, I like them. I watched the old ones you referenced when I was younger with my dad. He loves this stuff, so I can't wait to watch this with him. You know, when it's available to watch at home. Um, but yeah, this is just an incredible movie. This is one of the experience I mentioned going to a theater and watching it surprisingly with a pretty packed theater you know oh, wow. on the imax screen and it was really cool and um it just looked awesome it sounded amazing like the characters were great i felt a lot of emotions watching the movie um and you meant yeah, it was two hours four minutes i looked it up as you're i mean and it just it just goes by at a clip i mean it, it it's so it's such a good watch um but it's probably on my list it, it, it's one of the most surprising because I, it plays so high as i just thought more and more about it um and just like again that theatrical piece uh definitely registered with me and probably had some sort of influence on where i placed it but it's it's one of the more surprising placements on my top 10 list only because like i kind of just got caught up in the swell of like the, the buzz around it in the week leading to it coming out there's so much positivity around it. i was like this sounds like i want to be a part of this and it was well deserved it's incredible and um yeah i hope people check it out when it comes home for, for digital release and uh you know there's a lot of love out there for it and it's and it's very well deserved so yeah godzilla minus one is is also my number four pick yeah it's uh so, it would have been my yeah. number 14 um it was oh, okay. um it's uh it's uh yeah multiple flavors of godzilla is fine it's like uh you can have robert pattinson and ben affleck or you can have uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberbatch playing the same character at the same time. You right, know, like right, you can right. have these things. No, I don't know. I feel like um, uh, there was a story that I saw this week that was really endearing about uh, the director, who I hate to say I don't have their name on the tip of my tongue, but meeting Steven Spielberg. Yes, yeah, and that. Steven Spielberg awesome. saying that he loved the characters, thought that it had the greatest characters in it. He loved every character, or something like that. And the and the director was just very touched because he said he thinks of Steven Spielberg as a god. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wow. thought that Incredible. was really, um, you know, amazing. that would be an amazing feel. I'm not saying the movie is necessarily strictly Spielbergian, but that especially the group of characters on the boat that we follow, which might really be. I mean, as much as I think there's tons of reason why people love this movie, I really think the the secret sauce to this movie is the gang on the boat. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the real, the, like the the nature of the team, the break down of the team the reasons they're there the, the way they react to the situation the way you worry about everybody that's the thing that really makes this movie to me feel different from other godzilla anything i've seen but i'm kind of like you steve i'm i'm sort of i've dipped my toe but i'm not like super well versed in all the different threads yeah. especially the sort of man in suit stuff i'm not that familiar with all those i i know them by name only <clears throat> and that reaction to, to the love from spielberg i feel like has got to feel amazing because you know there's there's definite like there's a jaws vibe in oh, this totally. film already you know yeah. and you talk you know, when he says i love the characters like you love the characters in jaws you know what i mean like that that's what makes jaws probably my favorite movie of all time it's just like to hear that kind of love coming from uh somebody that you look up to or that you 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 deem a god of filmmakers it's like that's got to blow your mind i can't even imagine the feeling that's yeah i loved reading about that um all right ronald back to you number three all right. Um, number three is Celine Song's Past Lives. Ah. Um, this movie's a masterpiece. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know how else to like put it into words. But what what Greta Greta Lee and Tao Yo are doing on the screen is 
it it should be a boring movie, but it's not. It is one of the most stressful, <laughs> heartbreaking stories I've ever seen in my life. And because it kind of has, uh, has a woman doing it, it, all the tropes that you expect for something like this do not exist. Mm-hmm. And the emotionality of it is is a lot more complex than any other uh i don't know this isn't a romantic comedy or anything i mean it's, it, it, you know this drama i don't know if i've ever seen anything like this before where you know it's 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 a person who is in south korea and then migrates to the states and then that's a, the first a close, mistake yeah that's the first mistake the friend the friend uh that she's kind of in south korea with stays there but he still carries his flame for her and so does she on some level and and they maintain communication you meet them pretty much three or four times during their lives um and it is it's gut-wrenching it, the way that it happens is gut-wrenching the the things you know it's kind of you hear these stories about missing people at different times like you kind of you're ready and they aren't ready and they are ready and and it just you keep missing people in the wind and it just yeah. if you can feel it you can feel it until there's you know this crescendo is this interaction that happens in a bar that is so fucking painful and it and it involves all the parties from the story in one scene and it is nuts and i've right. i've never seen anything like it it has a sort of a dual language thing going on throughout the whole film uh so it, it, yeah what Greta Lee's doing in it is if she doesn't win something I'm gonna be angry <laughs> god damn this movie was good yeah I can't wait to see this it's, that that's that's probably the one that I've had the most access to that I've just kicked myself like how have I not sat down yeah and I feel a part of it is because Aaron had mentioned wanting to see it at one point when I was telling her about it and that's just like that's the it just we just have not been able to sync up and watch this movie, you know the video on demand thing was like oh great finally you're right right dang has happened that's great I'm I'm so happy to hear that you loved it that much. Yeah, and it's going to make me seem like an 11 year old when I say that my number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Um, I just think this movie is going to go down as, I mean, I in my mind it's one of the successful tying up of a trilogy examples that have ever existed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, it, those three movies together exist as their own little island outside of any of the other stuff. And it's the right. James Gunn flavor, obviously, that makes them special and makes them different and kind of makes them feel self-contained. Um, but I just think it's, you know, it continued to be surprising the way that he juggled the characters <clears throat> in those movies and particularly in the third one the way they're like this squabbling family of characters i just thought that it was written really well and performed really well and again you know if people might think there's a high barrier of entry if they just don't want to see a talking tree or they don't want to see you know uh, a, a raccoon that's being experimented on or whatever i mean i get that people might find it kind of silly but in in the strangest way i think that there's so much heart and soul in those characters and that james gunn is the type of guy who can pull that particular trick off. And I think that's a really unique 
trick. And so to me, it was like looking back on this year, I kept thinking, well, one of the highs for me was just going to that movie and not being disappointed. And in fact, mm, feeling like right. it really did sort of an unusual thing um, of, of, uh, of just somehow in the midst of all this superhero fatigue and all this, uh, you know, quality control issue that we've been dealing with, um, on, on the part of all these movies, you know, it just felt like, oh yeah, the, the reliable flavor is now, now we've got the James Gunn thing. And it's also as a, as a, as a sort of swan song for him with, with Marvel, it was another thing of kind of thinking, oh yeah, this is a little bit like something that they're going to be lacking going forward. Um, but uh, no, I don't know. I just it's a movie that I you know I don't know if I saw it two or three times in the theater. I think I managed to see it at least a second time, but maybe a third. But it's oh, wow. you know I I have a feeling at some point I'm going to rewatch that trilogy separately from any kind of thinking about the MCU or the greater storyline. And again, I think it's something that James Gunn, even at the time when the the appeal of these movies was how interconnected they were, I think he had the sense to hash out his own little space and to sort of help shepherd those characters through whatever other appearances they were going to be in where he could so that it was true to some kind of a concept. And I think it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting that he was allowed to do that. Um, and I do think just as a sidebar, the the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer that just came out does hint at not the exact same tone, but it's a similar sort of reliable vibe that going, Oh, this is a new thing that they've got coming out that might get people excited because there's that fun factor. And there's that irreverence at the same time as being able to juggle a real sure. story. So um, yeah, that might be the kind of way to go for them. <clears throat> Even if James Gunn can't do it. Yeah. I think that was in my top 20 uh, or maybe just outside of the, yeah, that I, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Like it's it's amazing that he was able to kind of do his thing for three films in the MCU and really kind of maintain that voice and be so consistent with it. Um, but yeah, Guardians was great. Uh, let's see, my number three is The Holdovers. Wait, cool, 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 cool. cool. I thought so. We, we've gotten so good at predicting one another. I'm like yeah. pausing after I say, I was like, okay, I know I can yeah, sit right. for a bit. All right, Ronald, your number two. Rye Lane. My number two is Rye Lane. A okay. So beautiful um, movie. Beautiful movie, and so I, you know, Steve, you you talk a lot about romantic comedies. Yeah. And you know what I I did not realize, um, you know when I really thought about it, I watch a ton of them. Um, and a lot of them are bad. I w- I've watched everything from Lifetime ones to any any Netflix one that comes on. Uh, you know, that's that seems to be the sweet spot now. Between Hulu and Netflix, they seem to be the places where rom coms are going. Exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's and they don't they aren't coming out in the movies. This movie hit me like a ton of bricks, and I think some of it had to do with the idea that maybe I was just in need of seeing two people just have a fun interaction. That didn't feel like it was rooted in anything, but just this purity and meeting somebody with good energy. I love yeah. that. I love that. And it didn't. It didn't feel like it had anything extra to it. Um. You know, it it, it just there's a magic to London, and um. Yeah, that's it. It, it captured it in a way that I just hadn't seen like i you know when you see it in other things it's it's oh don't don't you know it just feels like a little too something 
like to that. Feels, yeah, to that. I got like it. tourist. Everybody, feet. everybody knows what you're saying. There's too yeah. many seals. Touristy, <laughs> barking, barking seals. Yeah. yeah, just like very touristy. Like a big, <laughs> like, 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 like Mary seals. Poppins, essentially. Right, 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 right. This, right. this mm-hmm. felt, this felt very lived in. Um, the area that they're in is Brixton. Brixton is kind of like Brooklyn, the Brooklyn of of of, of London, and and it's very like. They gentrified, and and it really is about. It's kind of. It, there's two things happening at the same time, right? There these people that are having this beautiful thing, but they're like in this place that's essentially being gentrified, which you, which is like something you don't really know until you you go there. Like you know, you you find out it has this rich Jamaican black culture, yeah. and then on top of it is like people that are like, oh, this is really nice. Why don't we put a Starbucks here? Why don't we put a you know, it's the same thing that we we yeah. go through here, and so on top of that narrative is this this couple that's also like trying to make their way around the city and have fun and enjoy themselves, and it just is beautiful. It's a beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful story. The dynamic between the two characters is just incredible and so sweet. Yeah, yeah. It it, it, it doesn't feel like it's rooted in anything, but yeah, just that feeling. You know, when you meet somebody new, you're like, oh, I don't want to leave. Yeah. The the buzzword of this pod is is lean because I feel like a movie that's barely 80 minutes that accomplishes what we've just we're listening to you to say. I mean, this was my number 5 film. I I you know, I knew you'd have it higher. My number 6. Uh, you know, this is this is uh yeah, this is one of the best rom-coms of the last 5 10 years. Period. Like, you know, you you mentioned Netflix and Hulu like yeah, that's kind of where they live. The ones that make yeah. them the theaters usually are not good. You know, there's one that's going to make a hundred million dollars in theaters right now that most people have seen and talk about, and nobody knows that Rye Lane is sitting right there on Hulu. I know, and yeah. you could be watching the best rom com of the past five to ten years. It's so fresh. This is a this is a, this is a perfect uh, marriage of just uh, vibe. You know the the location you described. You know the the environment is is great. The characters are great. You know uh, Dominique are rememberable characters. You know yeah. like. They're broken people in ways unique to each of them that they somehow find a way to correct or make better or make whole or, you know, just uh, the emotion is so sweet. John said sweet. It's it's a great adjective. Like it's fun. It's funny. It's extremely funny. Uh, great side characters that come in for a, a quick shot for a quick laugh here and there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just feel like we talked highly of this film when it came out on Hulu and tried to get as many people to watch it as we could tell. And, you know, I, I definitely have recommended it to friends that I know love these kinds of rom-coms and they've absolutely loved it and would have no clue that it exists. There's no doubt if you watch this movie, you will you will at least very much like it or love it if you're in the bag for rom-coms or just kind of like a good fun time watching a movie about fun characters falling in love and damn it we need that (laughs) you know like i feel like it's so hard to find these movies now and i we've talked about that a lot on this podcast like they don't make a lot of anymore and you know even when they exist they kind of of have to be something else also yeah you know there's got to be something else like some action mixed in or or some drama it it can't just be a sweet rom-com that's 80 minutes well this is exactly that it exists it's called rye lane it's on all of our lists and it's on Hulu right now. So if Watch that sounds it. interesting at all, you've got a pass to go right now and check out Rylane because it's incredible. Yeah, I love, love that movie so much. 
So I'm, I'm glad that it was on all of our lists. I thought for sure it would be. So mm-hmm. I'm very relieved to, to kind of. Well, see I, it. I, I would just add that I actually was excited when I realized that was this year because it was yeah, back in March. One so, so in my yeah. mind, I was like, did we see it in March? But it was right. technically out last year or what, you know, like. And and I, so I was so happy when I saw that it was a this year movie yeah, that I was yeah. like oh because I really wanted to mention it <laughs> you know it's just it's that kind of movie like that you want to point out to people so you can go back to we covered it in March I think um, you can hear us talk at length about it there um, but but I, yeah I, I'm glad too and I guess I kind of thought surely surely you two would have it on your list as well so yeah great film John? well my number two is. Uh, was my number one until this afternoon, uh, which is strange. It's always strange when something recent bumps a movie out. But um, my Ooh. number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know what? That's what? the fifth one that I mentioned that I, I couldn't remember. That's the one I never saw. Oh, oh, I haven't wow. seen that yet. I forgot to even rank it. Damn. Oh, I'm very excited about talking to you about. Okay, this. cool. Well, okay. It's, yeah, so tell we, me so, about it. So we're we talking about talked, it. Yeah, go. Go ahead. We haven't really run. talked about it, and I think it's the kind of mm-hmm. movie. I think I I I talked about having seen it and did one of those. One of us saw it. Yeah, yeah, it isn't yeah. going to ruin it for the other two kind of things. But right. you know, it's just it's you know it's interesting that Scorsese was able to kick up so much dust this year by or the last couple of years by commenting a little bit on the current state of you know superhero cinema or whatever and in some right. ways he was proven right by the market in other ways he was never really commenting on the thing that people acted like he was it didn't need to be this thing where suddenly there's a huge like online push against Scorsese as though he makes like boring films or as though he's an advocate for movies that don't have any juice or that are that are like art films when he's actually one of the guys who regardless of what you think of his movies he's he's more capable of like exhilarating you than almost any other director and it's him and his longtime editor Thelma Schoonmaker actually who has a lot to do with that tone and pacing and right. and use of music um have you seen that clip? I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's Spike Lee talking to Martin Scorsese, and he yeah. says something to him about what's up with these other directors and why don't they fucking know how to use music? And anyway, it's those two guys who actually that's a great conversation because those are two guys that that do know how to use music. Two curmudgeons, yeah, two but, two curmudgeons. Well, at this point, I mean, you know, different generations, but at this point, they're both elder statesmen, and I think yeah. that Scorsese must appreciate that sort of. It's almost a compliment from Spike Lee to say to him, you know, yeah. you know how to do this. But no, it's, it, that is it. Marty, our dear Marty, Mr. Eyebrows, he knows how to do it. Like, he knows how to put together a sequence. He knows how to put together a, a project. He knows how to shoot a movie. They always go into this point where if you're watching one of his films, especially a period piece by him, you see how much effort is made to, like, create the the world, the verisimilitude of the world. And you really feel like you're going into a different universe. Um when you watch this film, like, not, you know, it, it's our world, but I just mean like you feel like you're traveling through time. You feel like you're, you're seeing a different place and you can totally see why the story um, was interesting to him and also why they you know, supposedly changed gears in mid production. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of funny that like uh, Leo was going to play the detective part that was later played by uh, Jesse Plemons um, and uh, said he saw more in the, 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 what character that I don't even think was going to be the lead of the film, um, which is a you know an interesting thing because it turns the movie's focus more to the sort of quote unquote love story between these two uh, historical figures, um, and 
I don't know if like in some ways I do think I like because the book is a little bit more does lean a little bit more on the detective story with Jesse Plemons. And I, I like that stuff. I thought Jesse Plemons was amazing in the movie, as good as Lily Gladstone was and as good as Leo was, as uh, Molly and Ernie, Ernest Burkhart. Um, I don't think anybody calls him Ernie. Um, maybe his friend Bert. But there is and also Robert De Niro still reminding you that he does great stuff. I don't know. There's just a there's just a lot in this movie that really felt like movie magic to me. Star power. um, and you cannot take away that interest level that you get when you find out that, you know, the level of, of uh, representation that it went for, not just, uh, you know, uh, not in a general way, but of a very specific tribe at a, a specific time and place. Um, I just think that you feel it. And it's, it's interesting to see that even as the movie wraps up, uh, Scorsese is kind of grappling with the role of the director, someone who's telling this story in a modern world, like, he, he kind of points the finger at himself in a really interesting way that I just felt like kind of not to say that it should shut up all the naysayers, but it definitely shows you that he's what's on his mind is the same question that people were asking about the movie, which is, well, who should be telling this story? Whose story is this? Um, that, that question gets addressed in the movie, which is, you know, that added layer you expect from someone who works at the level that he does. So should we see more stories of indigenous people that are told by indigenous people? Yes. But in terms of a, a, a you know, as a piece of representation, I think this movie is very interesting. And, you know, it's no mistake that people are talking about um, Lily Gladstone's performance almost above all, as good as everyone else is in this movie. She's She holds the screen in a really interesting way that is both a cultural thing with her character and also uh, just a pure screen magic thing, just a charisma thing of a performer who's got, right. you know, got the right role. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what makes this movie remarkable is that it does have some of that Scorsese weird, dark humor and interesting kind of exciting action and, and you know, a little bit of intrigue and a little bit of danger. And I, I think that's what makes it remarkable and watchable and interesting on top of, you know, this, what could be a very depressing or dour treatment of this subject matter. So um, I just found it to be a like a movie that I did not mind that it was three and a half hours long. It, it does not feel any shorter than that necessarily, but I didn't find myself wishing it was shorter, which you so often do when you're watching a movie like that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to, to me, it felt like a, a period piece with like the lady killers in the middle of it. Like there's like <laughs> this bumbling, man, when you see, when you see what's happening at the root of it, I mean, they kind of get at it in the trailer, but when you see it happening, and I think, I think why Leonardo DiCaprio got kind of shut out of this, uh, the, the 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 awards this year, is sometimes I think you get so used to what he's doing, so used to how good he is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that sometimes you, you you don't appreciate it quite as much. Like he, right. he has to do something very drastically different, like, you know, be a robot next time or something. You know what I mean? Like, you're so used to seeing him in these compromising positions, kind of bumbling and being scrounging and then his power being taken from him and him getting it back. And then you, you're used to this scrounging that he does in movies. And it's it's very different characters. Like, you know, like uh, Calvin Candy isn't the same as his character. No. Who is not the same as, you know, other characters that he's played. Yeah. But you can get very used to the style of power that he's bringing to a movie, the subtlety in some of the performance that he's doing, and then some of the over-the-topness that he does as well. 
But yeah, there's like this lady killers thing happening in the middle of it that just feels so fucking weird. For such a serious subject, and it works. It it not it doesn't take away from the film in any way. It's almost because... like it points up the absurdity of of how brazen what was happening was, how obvious it was. You know yes. what I mean? I think that because I think that is where the and I hate to again say that it's funny, but that is where that kind of bleak black humor comes from. Yeah, is those little conferences where, where when Leo's just sitting there dumb as shit talking to Robert De Niro, who's the most scheming guy in the world, and they're putting this stuff together. You can see why Leo may have been attracted to this. It does feel yeah. sort of Coensian. It does feel kind of like a Coen Brothers thing. It the does. way that Leo is like such a dunce. And that is like played as like a real character trait pretty much throughout the whole movie. Just how, how he's sort of manipulatable, you know. Yeah, and also sure. you find out later maybe he's, you know, that he was never as innocent as... Not that you ever think you ever think he's innocent. But at the end of the movie, you realize the, you know, darker truths about his character that, that the movie's kind of letting you not confront until, until you get to the end. So I think that's yeah. an interesting structure. But I think you're right, Ronald. I do think that people miss what he's doing sometimes when he's not doing something really showy or re like a, an accent or something like that. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Great movie. Got to commit. Got to see it still, guys. That's three and a half hours. So, man, you I really got to commit. I know. Yeah. I know <laughs> that, that's the one that got away for sure in terms of like, just don't have it. Don't have the time. Uh, so I'm up. Number two. Yes. This is a maybe, actually. I don't know if I'm going to talk about this or not. But uh, my number two is Oppenheimer. Oh. wait sucker okay. so let's just go let's just go you're next so let's just go you're number one okay um let's just do this so no wait steve wait 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 ronald what's your number one <laughs> <laughs> my number one is blue beetle oh wow <laughs> <laughs> no, Surprise. Uh, my number one is oppenheimer um so maybe i should try to talk about how i saw this movie the way that i did um so Aaron and I went to California, took a trip. She surprises me midway through the trip. And it's like, hey, I got us tickets to the Chinese theater to see Oppenheimer in all its glory. 70 millimeter. Are you, are you, are, do you want to see it? Yes. Uh, now, although I got COVID on this trip, and there's a <laughs> lot of sickness associated with this trip, I think there's something to being in a theater and watching movies like this, the cinema that sometimes feels like Citizen Kane or where were you when you watched this movie? Oppenheimer feels like the type of film that is so important, such a time marker that it, it, it feels like like you have to see it. Like I'm, I'm not saying even if you don't love it, it 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 is a it is a meteor heading towards cinema that you must consume. You know, and if you love it, you love it. But like you know, it it it's my my kind of storytelling. Um, you know, how did this movie have the pacing that it had for the length that it had? How was it shot the way that it was shot? I mean, sure, I've seen some of the behind the scenes, but I'm just saying like. All this stuff together, the sound mix is glorious. The acting is tremendous. Everybody's bringing their A game. It feels like one of those movies that feels so important. Like, I don't know if I'll ever see uh, some of these people again in this way, on this beautiful right. perspective, you know? 
Robert Downey Jr. doing work on the screen. You know, it's like these these side. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's showing up in a way that, you know, I'm not even talking about Killian yet, who is a force, right? Like Killian Murphy is just one of these people that he's sneaky. He's sneaky. And and Christopher Nolan saw that he could lead a movie. It's almost like. He'd been training him. He'd been a, he'd been a Padawan, practicing these side characters. And then one day he's like, "Look, I have something that is going to change your life. Are you ready for what this is going to take?" Because you could tell his heart and soul went into the production of this movie. You could feel every bit of the emotion of the conflict that he had, you know, with making this this weapon of mass destruction, and 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 the the narrative that was created around it, the narrative of we have to beat them before they, they beat us. You know, we have, we have to do this, you know, this, this narrative that may not have been real. And then hearing why they chose the places that they chose the bomb. Like, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's a, it's a very sharp commentary on American warfare in particular. Um, I feel really bad for, um, the Japanese citizens that were affected by this, um, I, you know, going to Japan and seeing how conflicted they are about Americans and American culture, there's a love for it, but also like you killed lots of us, you know, that's like this, that's, that's in the air, man. That's, that's strong in the air. So it's weird to put a list, uh, like a metaphor for war in, in, in nuclear war in the form of Godzilla. And then an actual, story about this right in the same in the same countdown right and like the yeah it's, it's not a monster that does it it's people yeah know? it's like yeah that's yeah. the reality that we lived in or mm-hmm. are living in yeah yeah it's 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 a glorious movie it, it is it, and it challenges uh the way you think you should think about modern warfare and past warfare and this you know this patriotism that that isn't real for uh, Anybody outside of the bubble of who who is the most patriotic, it, it doesn't. We don't look at patriotism the same way, you know. We, you know, if you if you really look at it for what it is, it's it's not as glorious as everybody's kind of painted it out to be. And I think this movie does a good job of looking at all the perspectives. Yeah, it could have been a little harder on. Could it have been a little harder on Oppenheimer? Maybe, but seeing this, it, but if you're smart enough. To see what happens to him in the end, you understand what it is. You understand what that means for a person like him to to kind of be treated like a this this kind of show in the end. Like, oh, you invented, you know, you. We don't really care what you say. Well, it's we, more we, what the what the government's trying to do by scapegoating him too. Oh or hell at least, yeah, you know that too. That too, yeah. But it's like it's like go, the, go. The, the, no, I was just going to say that the way that they're trying to sweep a certain aspect of the truth under the rug. But but I do I do think that. The fact that it's got such an odd structure and that there's so much time of the movie spent with the aftermath and like him losing his security clearance. I heard a lot of people criticizing that, like that's dry. And I can understand people feeling like maybe the movie could have integrated those moments with the other moments more. But I think that's significant. We know Christopher Nolan could have woven those timelines together. He didn't. So there's some reason why he wanted you to feel the real bomb, so to speak, of the film going off is the sort of weird betrayal and the kind of, you know, uh, Amadeus-Salieri relationship between um, 
Killian's character and Robert Downey Jr.'s character that I think is yeah. sort of a um, an interesting wrinkle. I do think that stuff is kind of fascinating on the character level. And even though the movie didn't work for me as well as it did for others, I, I, I know what you're saying about just it's a monumental achievement and it feels pretty monumental that a movie that's this, not difficult necessarily, but just three-hour-long sort of meditative uh not biopic, but just like a you know interesting, artfully put together film about about a historical event that also takes this these other personality aspects into into account. That that movie was such a huge success. I mean, yeah. it it's it's probably down to the Nolan kind of brand name. He's one of those rare director brand names that means something. But also the you can't take away from Barbenheimer in terms of just like the, oh, yeah. that one, two punch, like everybody was talking about it. So it's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, and it's, you know, he's now even more in the seat of the guy who can pretty much do whatever he wants. And he said it, that he's not going to make small <sighs> movies. He said, he kind of feels like other directors wish they had the budgets he has. So he's not going to betray them <laughs> by making a small <laughs> movie. You know, I thought that was yeah. kind of an interesting thing to say, but I, I like the guy for being ambitious. Yeah. <clears throat> This your story about the Chinese theater is great, Ronald. But I remember us all seeing it together before you saw that's it. That's true. Oh, yes, yes, and, for sure. And that's 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 a moment for me this year where I say theatrical. Um, my number two movie is Oppenheimer, and seeing it with you guys on that screen, it was like the seventy millimeter projection. Like you know, it, I think there were some issues like when it was starting. We were like, yeah. this is going to happen right. to us again, like it did with, with Mission Impossible. But it, it went off, and it was an amazing screening. Like it was, it was, yeah. The conversation that we had in the parking lot, we left the theater, is memorable to me. Like I can remember what we talked about, and then I remember the feeling that I had walking out of the theater. You know that that was something very special. Not just having seen it with you guys, yeah, seeing it, it in advance. Sweet. But like just the movie itself felt very special to me. And um, wherever you place it among Nolan's films, you know, I personally think it's one of his best films, if not, you know, if not the strongest all around, maybe, you know, there's there's other ones that might vie for that number one spot for me if I thought more about it. But right now, you know, I think, you know, him kind of getting the, um, you know, acknowledgement and his cast getting the acknowledgement and, you know, everybody involved, the craft of the film. Yeah. getting the acknowledgement that I think it just like it deserves, you know, is just really exciting. And I think, you know, you go down it's a murderer's row of like, who's in this film and everybody that's in this film is really good in this film. You know, you know, Josh Hartnett is pretty great in this movie, yeah. you know, uh, out in Anarch is great in this movie. Like everybody that you want to talk about, even if it's a scene that they're in, it's just really good. And even seeing it when you, when you, when, you know, when we saw it together, like seeing people pop up in it that we didn't even know were in it. Yeah. It was totally. awesome. You know, uh, but, but beyond all that, just the scope of the storytelling, uh, you know, the time jumps, you know, the different, you know, uh, the, the kind of competing stories of Downey's and uh, Murphy's characters, like in terms of like what's happening in those two timelines. I was just completely engaged the entire film. And, you know, I watched it again at, at home to kind of see if I kind of felt the same way. And I absolutely did. Um, you know, and again, the, being able to watch it with any kind of nice sound system and presentation, even at home, is a treat and a bonus. But even without that, I just think the movie is just so well made. And uh, it's, in, it's, in, it, it's, it's also a three hour plus film, you know, just over three hours. Yeah. And it didn't feel like a chore to me watching the movie. It moves quickly for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just remember walking out of that theater being like, wow, that was actually 
way better for somehow than I thought it was going to be. And my expectations were already really high, but I think I was just so entertained by a three hour biopic with a bunch of it in black and white, you know, it's just like, was so Mm kind of surprising for some reason to me. And, uh, I, yeah, I just, I absolutely loved it. And I think that, uh, I, I love seeing the, not that he didn't already have forms of acknowledgement and, and, you know, success. I just love the idea of it being a front runner across many, many categories, you know, at the Oscars this year and likely something that will finally get him a best director, uh, Oscar. And I, I think it's well-deserved, um, for this film. So yeah, Oppenheimer was my number two and Ronald's number one. So that brings it to me. Um, So this is a movie that I did not see until today. Um, And I actually, while I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, is this a perfect movie? This is a, this is such a John movie. Um, It is such a me movie. Uh, It's been spoiled a little bit uh, because I said, wait earlier, but it's the holdovers uh, directed by Alexander Payne. Who you know is a director that I've really admired at times, and a couple of his films I love. Um, but I feel like he's had a run of movies, or maybe not even a run. I just it's I don't I don't see all of them, um, and I don't you know the ones that stand out to me. I love Nebraska. I love um, Election. Uh, Sideways is very solid. I think about Schmidt is one that I might like more than more than most. And then right. the, the other ones, I don't even know that I've seen them all. Like, but there's a few that just didn't engage me. Maybe I should make sure to catch them all. But this movie was one that, just from the trailer, it looked like it had a special kind of vibe to it, a warm quality to it. I'm a sucker for that wood paneling, sort of old prep school look. Um, I, I the the plot line is a great, uh, you know, the idea of okay this is the teacher who has to stay over during the holidays with the students that don't have anywhere to go because their families can't take them or whatever. Um, And the the sort of ad hoc family that forms, it's similar to, I mean, it's, I said the same thing about guardians of the galaxy, a very different vibe, but a similar feeling of like midway into this movie, you have a group of characters that are together and that care about each other that are interesting. And um, they all have real moments and they're all real characters. And honestly, the the reason why this movie rose above uh, killers of the flower moon for me it's because there are a few things in Killers of the Flower Moon that, like, with everything it tries to do, that, like, bump me a tiny bit. There's nothing in The Holdovers that bumped me. There wasn't, like, a music choice or a or a, a long sequence or a dialogue note that felt wrong or acting that fell apart or uh, right. filming that wasn't interesting. It was, like, it was really a, a very, very nicely made movie that also felt like it had something true to say about about friendship and about, like especially like generational uh, mentoring or, 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 you know, friendship across generations, I guess you'd yeah. say. And I felt like it was incredibly touching. I mean, we know Paul Giamatti can, can be great, but he's just completely fantastic in this. And this kid, uh, what's his name? Dominic Sessa. Sessa. Yeah. Um, also incredible. And then who plays Mary uh, Divine, Divine? Joy Randolph. Joy Randolph, who I believe we've seen in things over the years. And she's one of those actors who pops up, but like, She's fantastic. And again, she's a real character. There's not like, those are your three main leads that have a real story, but everybody gets nice, interesting character things to do. And it never feels like it's pushing, like it does a little bit of road movie, uh, but it doesn't push it. It does a little bit of sort of Wes Anderson-y kind of, you know, you're around kind of the the, the teachers, the the world of the sort of school you could believe is a little Rushmore or something like that, but it never becomes 
heightened in a way that feels false in any way to me. And I believed the way the kids were acting. I don't know. I just was like, I kept, it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is the last movie I'm watching before making this list. So I was kind of like <laughs> going, is there anything wrong with this movie? And it really, like I said, it just didn't have a false note for me. And um, it really gained a lot of currency by the time it gets to the ending, which is like a perfect kind of bittersweet way for this story to wrap up. I just I just was so glad that I had fit it in because I had heard nothing but good things. And it's sort of like that kind of thing where you go, yeah, I'll probably like this, but how could it really be that special? Um, and so often these movies that get highly recommended throughout the year um, or yeah. throughout the last few months for this one, you know, so often those are rewarding when you finally make the time for them because you're like, oh yeah, everyone's excited because this really does have some real human warmth in it. And I stress, it really is also a very nice looking movie. I mean, it really is nicely shot, which, which puts it ahead of some movies of its sort that feel a little bit TV sized. This felt like a movie movie, but it had that yeah. kind of TV closeness with character. Um, and I was not too shocked to find that it was a script that was um, written by, uh, what's his name? David, uh, David Hemmingson, who has written a lot of television and had written a pilot for a, for a television show set at a prep school. And Alexander Payne kind of heard about it or read it or something and said he wanted to use that as the setting for his next movie. And then they kind of, you know, pushed it into the shape that it is now. So it's an adaptation right. of what could have been a television show. And I think oh, the characters wow. have that level of kind of richness to them. Like you really do feel like you could spend more time with them. But I love that the movie is that great thing a movie can be, which is a story that can only happen once. You know, this isn't a next day everything was the same movie. This is a movie that at the end, the characters were all changed. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the definition of a movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. A, it's a story that only could happen once. <clears throat> yeah, this is my number three film. And I, I, I feel like, I don't know that I was as, I, I don't know if it's surprised, um, like how high I placed it. But like, I, I kind of, uh, on, on the wave of, of love that it had been getting, kind of finally saw it once it was available at home. So I didn't see this in the theater. I saw this at home and I felt like it felt perfectly amazing to watch it at home. Like I mm -hmm. felt like it's such a warm, joyful film that, yeah, it does look and feel like it was made in the 70s. It, everything about it just kind of lays right in line with that. But um, this is this, this feels like a movie that I will watch every year. It feels like a movie that could be one of those things that you watch around the holidays. Yes. Like it's 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 got that vibe of of joy there's pain in it. There, there's kind of just this humanity, um, even from this curmudgeon of an instructor or professor that Paul Giamatti plays, um, but in these characters that he kind of bounces off of, both Dominic and Divine, like they just there. There's a nice little, there's a great supplementary relationship happening amongst the three of them mm -hmm. that uh, kind of allows each to kind of uh, handle their or or kind of address and challenge the their issues in life or like the problems that they have going on in their respective lives and acknowledge each other's, you know, and say like, that's, that's actually what we have in common. We couldn't be more different than each other, but what we have in common is that is that we all are struggling in some way and whether we talk about it or show it or wear it on our sleeves, it's like we can help each other by acknowledging that. And I love mm -hmm. that, like that kind of grows and, you know, with each of them kind of uh, is, is kind of shown in different ways through the film. Um, but yeah, Dominic Sessa was amazing. Like I felt like this is for this being like his first film. Like, it's like, wow, like look out for this guy. Paul yeah. is always, you know, consistent and great. And I mean, if anybody's going to upset Killian or I don't even know if it's an upset anymore, it's, it's Paul. Like it might yeah. be his time, you know, it might be his time for this. Th this might be his, his, his movie to give him his Oscar. 
but um between him and Killian, yeah, but great amazing performances. But uh the 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 sequence at the end in the in the in the like the administration office, you know, the the eye comment, like it's just and the I mean and that, the, that's the, it, the insult, the insult he gets off when yeah, he's leaving yeah. the office. And also that scene before that, like it's not like the movie's lacking for a great scene, but that's sure. like that sort of like for your consideration moment. That this that is it. You sort of impassioned that. scene he gives where he kinda let kind of lets it all out in a way he hasn't at other points yeah. in the movie, you know? Yeah. Um, but also it's that thing of whittling away what a character has in their life. And at the end of the film, he's kind of stuck at a moment where he realizes that maybe the thing that he's been valuing and being true to all this time, maybe he's not as valued as as oh. the situation was for him. And that's that whole thing of like both a young man and an older man realizing a very similar thing about, about how they can have a better life, you know? I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting, deep, thing yeah. that feels very natural it doesn't feel forced um so yeah and I, I don't even know that i like really consider myself like a huge alexander Payne fan. i do like a lot of his films but this is i mean besides maybe election like this is the one for me i mean this yeah. was like a perfect like yeah like you said like i really don't have an issue like the, my top three films that i have in my list it's you know i mentioned holdovers oppenheimer and i'll get to my number one next but like i really these are five-star movies for me like i i really can't say anything bad about the holdovers and i can't recommend it enough uh it's it's really really a great film <clears throat> um ronald you also had this is another one that's on all three of our lists i mean you had it as your number uh what six holdovers yeah, yeah i mean aaron and i kind of watched it on a whim and were blown away it just had all the things you want in a movie just like heart uh well acted and I love those moments where they're just sitting at the table talking. Yeah. Or like eating a meal. Eating yeah, a meal. Like, no, that, that Christmas dinner scene was yeah, just oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It just it just is so well put together. And I just I would watch a whole thing with them. Like if they meet up every couple of years, they just had this dynamic that was just so good together. It, I, I don't think you could have expected. I, I don't think that anybody could have expected it to be this magical like it started off you know you feel it you're like okay this is a, yeah this has good this has a good energy but then it when it gets to what it is the heart of it which is just the three of them being around each other it, it it's magical it is really yeah i, I you're right this these are these are five star movies these are i'm always gonna suggest these this movie to somebody you know what makes it feel that way? I think Ronald is that it has like a generosity of spirit. Mm, like yeah. even when characters are talking to each other, like there's a moment. And this is such a small moment, but at that family dinner, there's a moment where this he says, "I've never had a, a family dinner like this, like a home yeah. style." And he says, "My mom would order from Delmonico's," and you almost expect it to be like, "Oh, the mom, what a piece of shit," right? But instead, Mary says, "Well, hey, I, I, that's a good idea. Next year, I'm going to order from Delmonico's." And so it's like <laughs> nobody's letting anybody be shitty about anybody. I mean, yeah, at least yeah. not on their watch, and yeah, it's, especially it, in that moment. Yeah, but I'm saying you don't even. That's the movie's got a few moments like that that it's like oh this could have been a, a more and you might even expect from other alexander payne movies for it to be more of a caricature that you're witnessing or more of a oh this character is like really you know their 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 bitterness is making them they're wearing it on their sleeve but even paul giamatti who's kind of if you were going to say the curmudgeon of this movie he still has so many moments where he's like 
like being warm-hearted and expansive or appreciative or communicating clearly yeah. and it's like it's not that movie where you're like why don't these people just talk about their feelings this is yeah. the movie where people are actually most of the time talking to each other openly about what's going on yeah. Yeah. and it's just so human for that reason <clears throat> yeah so yeah for sure all right steve I, th I think that means the the last big mystery is your yeah. number one if yeah, it's a mystery I, I, it, it's a i don't know if it's a mystery um my number one is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Awesome. Ronald had, it, Ronald had it as 10. And you know what? I'm going to say real quick. So my top three, I mentioned Holdovers. I watched at home in the winter. It felt perfect. It got that homey vibe. I saw Oppenheimer with my guys in the pod in theater. It was perfect. Yeah. And you know what? I saw Spider-Verse Across the Spider-Verse with my daughter. Uh -huh. And I don't think anything will touch it. I'll be honest oh, with you. you I know, like that. Even thinking about talking about this kind of makes me emotional, and I yeah. may get emotional even talking about it. <laughs> Please do. But like, literally, this is a, this is like a series of films that, like, is a her and me thing, you know. Mm. And even as we record this, she's two rooms over sleeping in a Gwen Stacy pajama outfit. You know, like <laughs> that's the thing for me. The coolest Spider-Man costume of all time, I think, might be the the Gwen. It, it, it probably is yeah and that's what she's laying in her bed right now like she we went to universal studios last week and she wore the costume <laughs> through the marvel part of universal studios she I met spider-man and oh. she got a fucking picture with doing a thwip i mean like she's all in on this and i think even even beyond like you know spider-man as a statement and peter parker she is more into miles and gwen you know and that's because of this this movie and this mm. series of films and even some of the animated stuff that's on, you know, some of the family programming that we watch. But like, you know, going and seeing uh, Into the Spider-Verse with her a few years ago, you know, it was she was younger. She was into it, you know, but she was like connecting. I could feel it connect her connecting to it. You know what I mean? And the animation for her is very accessible and it's very engaging. And, you know, for her... It's a, a style of animation that she's seeing and doesn't feel like groundbreaking and necessary like it does to us. Because mm. it's like, this is an impact moment for her. And she sees this and it sets a bar very high as to what things can look like. And that means a lot to me, uh, especially seeing tons of movies every year. And, you know, so going to see Across the Spider-Verse on the biggest screen I could find with my daughter opening weekend with a crowd who was super into it. The number one movie going moment of this year for me. No contest. I love you guys. Oppenheimer yeah. was awesome. Yes. Well, yeah, Sitting next to her and her turning to me, saying characters' names, remembering something from Into the Spider-Verse, you know, like being shocked when something happens, you know, uh, towards the end of the film or what, whatever, the, whatever the case may be. And that's all just emotion. That's all my experience with my daughter. Yes. Just before I even talk about how fucking incredible this movie is to me. Yeah. Like, I texted you guys. We were talking nonstop. You know, I know I was super high on this film when it came out, but even watching it multiple times at home with her since it's come out again or with my wife and even my son who like will watch along. He's so young, but like he gets what's happening. Like he knows who the characters are, too. So, you know, I just think what they're doing, Lord Miller and, 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 the, and the group of directors that they have working on all these films is just so unique. And I think, you know, in, in a world where we see all these different IP uh building out multiverses and things like that i think you know they're probably doing it the best and i don't think it's any contest honestly 
Yeah. And I think that the idea that they introduce in Across the Spider-Verse of a canon event is is genius. And, you know, you're the comic book guys. I don't have the reference point. But to me, putting that in the middle film of a trilogy and like kind of letting it be the point that gives our our lead character a reason to be different uh, is is genius. And honestly, it makes me so excited to see the next one, whenever that may be. But it makes right. me just appreciate so much of what Into the Spider-Verse was even more. And, um, you know, people can complain about like this not feeling like a full movie. I completely disagree with that. Um, whether you want to look at it from Gwen or Miles's perspective, this is absolutely a complete film for me. Um, it leaves you excited for more, no question. But, you know, Pemberton's score is incredible again. Yeah, incredible. Uh, him not getting a nomination to the Academy Awards blew my mind. Um, I, I can't believe that if you watch any behind the scenes stuff, we talk about like that all the time on the pod, you know, we seek out these cool behind the scenes videos, watching him score this movie. Like it's, it'll blow your mind, like what he did, you know, and, and how he comes up with capturing certain sounds and things like that. That's again, another element of craft and filmmaking that, uh, is, is a bonus almost to like this incredible story, an incredible cast of, of voice actors, you know, just looking down the list, Jason Schwartzman, uh, as spot was you know just su- not even surprising to me because he's incredible but like the way that character kind of becomes a bigger villain throughout the film while we're kind of yeah. dealing with a possible other villain or at least a conflict right among the spider society is i just think so creative and oscar isaac is spider-man 2099 like that all, all that stuff just i don't know man like i was buzzing walking out of that theater like and again some of it's about my daughter and some of it's about just my love for the whole idea of spider people in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that they're cooking with gas with this franchise and for this movie, you know, to spider into did great for across to overperform again and mm-hmm. to have the box office it did and, and the great reviews that it did or that it got, sorry. Um, you just love to see this kind of thing, especially in the animation space where, you know, I feel like it's like doesn't get the love, you know, it not getting acknowledgement this for this film at the Academy Awards like into uh, did. It's kind of like, you know, in certain certain areas to me, it's kind of weird. But to me, I don't know. I, I it, it just was an incredible movie. And again, it makes me so excited for Beyond or, or whatever the third one ends up being called if it changes again. But it's going to be uh, called Dead Reckoning Part 2, which is weird. <laughs> it all comes together. Well, you know, uh, I, I, um, I, I think uh, for one thing I just want to say, that thing about your, your daughter is so sweet, but I will say that's what like peak Marvel was like with Henry. Sure, so I got to sure. go through I got to go through peak Marvel with that energy with him, and it was that yeah, same and, kind of thing. And we got to do some of that with you. No, and we like, did. We I, did. I know exactly what you're talking. But about. But I'm just saying that feeling you're talking about of like it's fun yeah. to see the imagination fire off in, in your child yeah. and to see them. I mean, it's like as corny as it is to see them relate to these like heroic characters that do stand for something good. Like the movies are well written to stand for values and things that are good, and so the, yeah. they present heroes that are flawed and relatable. And to see your child latch onto that is like both sweet and hopeful, but also you know how fun it is. And when something's that good, like this movie is like beautiful. Like what you're talking about. I mean, the thing I I still I still like the first one better, but right. I do think the second one was so incredibly like visually 
I, it wouldn't even matter if I hated the story. I would still rate this movie pretty highly just on the strength <laughs> of the visuals alone. I don't right. at all hate the story. But um, yeah, every every freeze frame of it looks like really cool concept art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually part of the animation. And I think as many people as maybe have learned the lessons from this movie or uh, this series... Um, as far as how they can play with the what feels like 2D mapped onto 3D or vice versa, I yeah. don't think anybody has been close to doing it as as beautifully. I mean, there there have yeah. been some really cool looking movies that have kind of drafted on this this movie's success or had similar ideas about how to create a new animation style, and still nothing has quite found this level of like really attractive character designs, really fluid, interesting sense of movement. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable from an animation standpoint and from a storytelling character standpoint, it's so strong. Um, yeah, I mean, it's incredibly cool <laughs> that these movies exist and it's like, I kind of, I don't want them to overdo it, but I, I, you know, I think we can at least count on the third one, you know, wrapping up the story in an interesting way or having some new interesting place to go. Um, because I think if we aren't, if we aren't going to see it for a while, it's because they're taking their time on it. So I guess that's that's a good thing. But it was weird to see it even scheduled. It was supposed to be out like in a couple of months, right? And that's just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously that got taken yeah, off. Pipe dream. Yeah. Right. But that seemed like a pipe dream even when it was announced. So, Yeah, I just think like, I don't know, there's, there's something there's something so special about it to me. Like, I feel like, you know, and, and I'm in the bag for the MCU stuff and most of the comic stuff. Like, I, I think a lot of it is great, you know? But I think, you know, even the best of the MCU, and I love, love, love a lot of these, what I would put in my top five, 10 MCU films, you know, this is easily on par with them and and exceeds it in probably a lot of the, a lot of the like boxes that you need to check for story, for character, for, you know, score, for, you know, just, I don't know, pacing. Like it just, the movie moves. It's such a clip and like, even how it starts like kind of on Gwen is so creative and it's kind of like a, it kind of shakes you up a little bit. Um, instead of just jumping right back to miles, you know, you get a little more time with Gwen and that honestly, and that is like something that really set my daughter like a, a blaze, you know, right to jump into this movie was like, Oh shit. You know, I'm like, she's like glued to the screen right now watching Gwen, you know, with her band and all this shit that she's going through. That's so cool. Um, yeah, it, it was amazing, man. And, uh, you know, thinking more and more about these top tens and like, you know, the impact, the theatrical experience, you know, the, the different ways we can experience and view these films and the way they affect us. Um, I'm really thankful to have a variety of experiences this year. And uh, but but yeah, but Spider-Verse, you know, with with my daughter, this is probably the franchise. There's other things that we we love together and that she loves. But there's no question by the time that comes out, whether she's seven, eight, nine, however old she is, uh, it is going to be like the marked event on the calendar that year that like it's an event. We've got to see this and we'll be dressed up in our Spider-Man costumes at the theater, <laughs> like, just like we were this year. Uh, but yeah, Across the Spider-Verse is uh, is uh, my number one film. Steve, that, you're so familiar. I used to do the same thing, like figure out how old Henry was going to be. Like they, they'd announce when the next one was coming out and I'd be like, Oh, he's going to be in fifth grade. I hope he's still, I hope he's still a little kid, you know, when, yeah, he's when, in. That, when that yeah. one comes out. Um, well, that's, that's an awesome year. And those were good lists. Steve, are you tallying up our final maths? I got, I got it guys. All right. So the, the schmooby top five, I'm going to go from five to one. This is all, all right. point scores. Uh, number five is spider verse. Uh, Spider-Man. Wait, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow. 
uh, with 11 points. It was Ronald's number 10 and my number one. Ah. Uh, Call that a split. No, we can do that. Uh, <laughs> number four is Godzilla minus one with 14 points. Holy. It, it was, <laughs> it was uh, both Ronald and my number four film of the year. Uh, number three is Oppenheimer with 19 points coming in hot at number two for me and number one for Ronald. Uh, number two was Rye Lane, a film that was on all three of our lists. Holy. Uh, Ronald's number two, John's number six, and my number five. And the number one film of 2023 per movie schmovie is The Holdovers Holy. with 23 points. That's wow. really cool. Um, placing at number six for Ronald number one for John and my number three film. And, you know, I, I just want to say, I'm looking at these lists, amazing lists. I'm, I'm, I love the variety, but all five of those films were in my top five. Yeah. I, I, wow. I just, it, this is amazing guys. I'm you, very you happy. win, you win 2023. <laughs> I think Schmooby studios has, has made me, uh, the, the guy for the top 10 list here, yeah. yeah. but I'm looking at like what I circled on the list. I'm like, Oh, wait a second. I have all those five in a different order. In a different order, Ronald's got three of them in his top five. John has the most variety. He's only got oh, what the holdovers in his top five. Yeah. So yeah, but awesome, awesome picks. Um, again, five to one. We got Spider Verse, Godzilla minus one, Oppenheimer, Rylane, holdovers. Uh, all them but minus one are available at home right now. So you could you could you know nice. watch that now if you haven't seen any of them before Oscar time comes. Because um, with the exception of uh, Rye Lane, th these are all Oscar-nominated films that people will be talking about in a few weeks. Mm. Um, boom. Boom. There it is, guys. What, a, what an awesome episode. I love that. That was yeah, a lot man. of fun. I, didn't, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel the anxiety coming out of it that I thought I would. I do, I, do, I do feel like hearing you guys talk about past lives, poor things, anatomy, zone, you know, or mentioning like, you know, or killers especially like so high on John's list. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta still see them. I don't know if they'll impact my list somewhere, some way rather, but um, Letterbox will still let me edit it after today, so I'm I'm happy about that. But this feels good. This feels yeah. really good. I always like when there's variety. Me too. <clears throat> like me too. like overlap on the ones that it would hurt our feelings if there wasn't overlap on them. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. variety. <laughs> right, right. It's right. crazy how it works out that way. Like I'm I'm pretty proud that. You know, I love hearing about movies that here's the thing, man. I was gonna be pretty action movie heavy, like Sisu. Right, right. And and yeah, but I I like that you put John Wick in it. That made me feel really seen because John Wick, <laughs> man, that knocked me out in the theater, yeah. dude. That I mean, yeah, that and mission were the two action or I mean, you know, Godzilla probably, but uh just like yeah these are like franchises that i love and like they just in some ways continue to get better or you know find new ways to kind of keep you know me engaged i don't know how they do it man and they, they pull it off every time it gets yeah i'm glad that you i'm glad that you both mentioned when evil lurks because that was just outside of my list mm -hmm. um that was a great great horror pick to include um, yeah, I don't know. I also had they cloned Tyrone. That was like my number twelve. Uh, 
along with I wanted to say the Artifice Girl. I mentioned that a lot on the pod, but it just just got pushed out. Mm. I saw a couple things later in the year. Um, I think it was like a thirteen or something like that. But yeah, man, this is good. This is very good. That's twenty twenty three. We're we're yeah. we're in the twenty twenty four now. I I don't know that I've seen something yet that I've thought was uh a, well a twenty twenty four film that has done anything special for me yet, but. Hey, Dune 2 comes out very soon, so the let's door talk. door is open. Let's yeah. talk. Let's well, talk, I mean, guys. speaking of past lists, Denny, <laughs> Denny was pretty highly favored, at least for, for a while there with, like, all yeah. of us, between, like, Sicario and Prisoners. Prisoners. And, and I feel Dune, like there was even, part one. There was another was on one, my list. I feel like that was somewhere in there for us. But, yeah, no, that was, um, he's one of our- Oh, Arrival. Our, yeah. Right. That that's it. a good that's oh, a good so run good. in schmovie terms. I think that we all we all <laughs> put all of those movies on our list, I think. So Yeah. So let's see if he brings the goods, man. Couple weeks. Couple weeks. Brings the it spice. feels weird saying that this early in the year. So like that's if it if it hits the way I'm hoping it hits, that it, it can maintain. But mm-hmm. you know, a lot of some of these movies on our list, yeah, like have been were earlier in the year. So that's cool. Right. Like Ryland um, was was March. So that was one that I had to kind of Confirmed, but it's funny how it feels so long ago. Like that yeah, is a that yeah. is a distortive thing. I guess this was a busy year because yeah. I was very surprised that 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 movie was this year when I when I looked it up. <clears throat> oh, um, next week we'll get back to our required viewing picks. I I, I chose uh, Nine Days last last episode, right? As my choice, um, so you can watch that with us, and we'll get to that next week and and whatever else we've seen in between now and then. Moviesmovie.com is the website. You can go to there to subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice or just stay on that page and listen to anything that might, you know, catch your eye or strike your fancy. Speaking of catching your eye, if you go to youtube.com slash schmovie podcast, I always get the address wrong. Ronald, movie schmovie pod. Movie schmovie podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube.com slash movie schmovie podcast. You can get the visual option, Mm -hmm. which, trust me, it's looking real nice right now. Um, Ron's done this great job with those videos. And uh, yeah, so hit that up. You can subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get a little alert every time a new episode comes up. And you have to do zero work beyond that. Just It'll tell you. And just go and watch. But coming up here, I mentioned it a few times. In the, we have the Oscars coming up in a few weeks. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, whether going into it or, or post-awards. Uh, um, that'll be exciting. And I said it, Dune... Dune Part Two, in a couple of weeks, we got to get together to watch the first one at your house, Ronald. A little rewatch to kind of yes. get 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 like a little refresher, feel a little you know prepped for Part Two, um, and then uh, that'll be fun to talk about. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you both for doing this again. This, this was, was fun. A, a really fun episode to to record, um, and uh, as always. You made our day. Thanks. Bye.